welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. And I'm Ben Schumann-Stoller. All right. So today is a really special episode of Simplify because it does something we've never done before, which is record an episode with a live audience of a, a very small number of people. But it was so nice to have just people listen in and ask some cool questions, which you'll hear at the end of this episode. Yeah. What was it like to get feedback from people live? It was really interesting. At first, I felt kind of nervous because I've never done that before. Um, But it was so cool to hear people pick up on aspects of the conversation and bring their own sort of interests. I I really enjoyed it. I guess we should say that this is another episode that we did with a shortcast host, Natalie Liu. And shortcast is a shortened version of a podcast episode crafted around that episode's key ideas. We actually make these with the shortcast hosts. Right. So you've been a fan of Natalie Liu for a long time. Yeah. Why? I think she's a really good sense talker on a lot of different things. She taught me about the idea of over-responsibility, which is definitely a malady from which I suffer. Also, a lot more about boundaries, actually. It's one of the main topics that Natalie Liu treats um, and how boundaries are not about saying no to people. They're really about understanding what you want to say yes to, which is a super helpful recontextualization for people who are people pleasers and, you know, which is maybe a thing I'm recovering from a little bit. So she taught me about that. And I thought, hey, this is probably information that a lot more people could really use, which is why she was the very first person that we brought on board to make shortcasts. Yeah. So um, I'm really interested to hear what people think about this interview, because it's a, it is a little bit different because you did it live. Mm-hmm. Is there something we should sort of look out for? Yeah. So Natalie says that most of us behave in adulthood in the same way that we did in childhood. And we transfer these child relationship patterns that we know, like, you know, mothers or fathers or aunts and uncles onto people that we work with, which isn't particularly useful. So she coaches us to take a step back and say, huh, why is this bothering me so much? What's going on here? Where have I acted like this before? And a lot of times you'll notice, oh, in my family system, I did this thing. But that is a really great opportunity to realize, oh, hey, I don't have to do that. I'm a fully actualized adult and this is work. So I thought that was really cool and really interesting. And um, I hope you enjoy it. Cool. Don't forget to stick around for the bookend for some reading tips on this topic. And we'll see you then. Let's roll the tape. Natalie, it's awesome to see you again, as usual. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. I'm delighted by that. Uh, We know each other because you are making a short cast with Blinkist, which is where I work and where Simplify is made. And now I think we can just start an episode just as we normally would. And the way that I like to start that is to ask my my guest to introduce themselves the way that they like to be introduced, because I love to hear what people's answers are. Well, uh, I am Nasty Lou. I am 43 born here in England, but raised in Dublin, Ireland. And I am a writer, author, speaker, podcaster on all things emotional baggage. I take everything I've learned on the way to processing my own emotional baggage, as well as helping other people do theirs. And I share it with people around the world through my blog, Baggage Reclaim, as well as on my podcast, The Baggage Reclaim Sessions, and through my books as well, and online courses. I have two daughters, and they are a big driver now as well in the work that I do, because they will become (laughs) 
to people that I currently talk to. They will become adults and they will have, you know, romantic relationships and they'll have to work and they may have families of their own and deal with friendships. And seeing them grow up and seeing myself through them, they really inspire me to to keep talking on the subjects that I do. Mm, That's a nice way to look at it. You're helping the the future generation have healthier boundaries with uh, with everything, including actually... You recently created a a course about work boundaries, right? Called Reclaim Your Work Boundaries. Yeah, actually, I've become a little bit obsessed with work boundaries because more and more people are experiencing burnout because of the, the lack of delineation between work and home. You know, before you could switch off from work. You know, I remember going to work in the 90s, <laughs> the early 2000s. When you left work, you left work. Yeah. And now work is in your pocket. Um, work can be with you all day, all night long, if you feel like it. So I want to talk more about our relationship of rest, our relationship of money, with creativity, with work ethic as such. And if we're not saying no at work, it's because of all of the emotional baggage that we have around that. And the funny thing is, is a lot of people don't think that they're allowed to have boundaries of work because it's like whoever pays you money owned your boundaries and your bandwidth. You know, like when we work, we are exchanging our intellect, talent, labor, creativity, skills and whatnot for money and hopefully other benefits and support. But we don't behave like that at work. We behave as if we owe (laughs) our boss because we're all like, It's like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be in this job. Somebody else could be taking this from me. And so a lot of us actually behave like that, even though we might be in pretty higher positions at work. It's quite fascinating. Yeah. Um, As you've created this course, I'm sure that you've been talking to people who are in your your community. What are you finding people need the most help with in terms of work boundaries? Um, I think that people... genuinely terrified of having any boundaries at work because they see it as a threat to reputation, promotion, uh, more money, uh, or actually just the job itself. And of course, depending on what fields we're in, who we're working for, there may be some very real concerns there. But I also think that most of us have grown up in the age of obedience, mm-hmm. you know, where that's what parenting was about back in the day. You obey your parents. Obedience was the way at school and at church. So we have been taught to distrust our feelings. We've been taught not to listen to our bodies. We've been taught that no is a dirty word. Mm-hmm. And we've also been told that anybody who is an authority, real or not, if we perceive them to be an authority or they are, that we're not allowed to say no, that we must Mm. obey and that good, responsible people do as they're told. And uh, that will take us through school, for instance, and through childhood, but that will not get us through adulthood because we will find that we say yes to the wrong things, that we're very compliant rather than being consenting adults a Mm. lot of us behave as if we are still at school obeying teachers or that we're at home obeying parents it's like i'm afraid of getting into trouble getting into trouble is what you do at school what you do around your parents not at work yeah that's true 
So, and and you you see that as being a holdover from this age of obedience. I love. I've never heard that term before, but I, I think it's an apt one.、Um, I guess it sounds like we end up saying yes to a whole bunch of things because of feelings of obligation、mm-hmm. and scarcity.、Uh, how do you coach people to begin to to put up some boundaries there and go from compliance, as you so intelligently put it, to consent? Well, the thing is, is that look, you know, if we're always saying yes, at, at some point we're lying about. Like nobody agrees with everything. Nobody wants to do everything. So if we're always saying yes, like that's a problem, and that's because yes is wrong. It's that if we're always saying yes, and often on autopilot. We are doing so without consideration of the impact of doing so. So, what the meaning and consequences of saying yes involves, without really any awareness of our feelings, our bandwidth. Like, do we have the time, the energy, the effort to that the capacity is such to take this on? If we say yes to this thing at work, what does that mean? We'll have to say no to. Does it mean we'll have to say no to getting any sleep tonight? Does it mean that we'll have to say no to having a weekend? Does it mean actually that we'll have to say no to doing the work we're actually supposed to be doing because we've now taken on something that we're not actually supposed to because we have this attitude of they asked so I'm obliged because we have this attitude of if I'm asked to do something at work. Well, it must be because it's my responsibility, or why would they ask me?、Mm-hmm. And so, what I encourage people to do is really to become attuned to how they're spending their yes, their nos, and their maybes. And the truth of the matter is, is that if we have fuzzy or absent boundaries, you can be assured that the yes is high, and the no and the maybe are low. Certainly, the no will be low, but there might be. <laughs> There might be a lot of maybe in there, where it's、mm-hmm. like we use maybe as a, oh yeah, let me get back to you, and then we just keep stalling, hoping that the ask will go away, and then eventually we say yes because we feel too guilty to say no, or we've left it until too late. So I encourage people to become really aware of how they're spending their yes, their nos, and their maybes. To to be aware of how does their typical working week go? In fact, how does their typical week go? So.、Mm-hmm. What's their sleep pattern like?、Uh, how does their day begin? How does it end? Do you have any free time? Where is what's your energy like? Like I've noticed, I often feel like I've got a good chunk of energy <laughs> at the start of the week, yeah, and I am on a nosedive from about midweek, and so that really caused me to look at: Do I kind of like pile it all in early on in the week? And could I maybe spread things out and take on less?、Mm. So I think really paying attention to where we're doing things from a place of obligation, as opposed to I thought about this.、Mm. It's a conscious choice because things that we actually need and want to do they energize us,、mm-hmm. and things that we're doing for the wrong reasons, the things we pressure us into, that we emotionally blackmail us into, they are draining. So pay attention to where you're getting drained. That's where you start to learn that you need to pull back on the yeses for a bit. And I want to be clear: saying no does not mean I am saying no forevermore and let this carry through until the year twenty one ninety nine. It's 
No, not right now. Like, we don't have to make it into this big dramatic thing like we're saying no for all time and cancelling ourselves out of everything and everyone. It's just, no, not right now. Mm -hmm. I heard something really interesting in there. Well, a number of things, but one of my my favourite terms that listening to you introduced me to was over-responsibility. And understanding whether you're being over-responsible or not is so important because then you get to challenge whether saying yes is a function of your over-responsibility and feelings of obligation or if it's because of ability, desire, and that this is an adequate ask that someone is making of you. Um, Can you talk actually a little bit about over-responsibility and how that might manifest itself in a workplace? Yeah, if we are in any way familiar with feelings of guilt, resentment, frustration, obligation, overwhelm, feeling helpless, powerless, trapped, low, possibly even depressed. Mm. That is letting us know that we are someone who has a pattern of being over-responsible because that's how you end up feeling that way in the first place. Mm. And we know that we're over-responsible if we tend to act as if we have less needs or fewer needs than we do, or that we actually have no needs at all. If we put everybody else's needs, expectations, desires, feelings, and opinions ahead of our own. If we feel as if we're inconveniencing others, if we ask for something or we want something, if everything we we do is really kind of, our first thought is, <laughs> how is this gonna affect everybody else? Who is it going to upset? Will they abandon me? Am I going to hurt their feelings? In fact, if we think that boundaries, that saying no hurts feelings, we're over-responsible. If we feel as if it's our job to be a certain type of person, we are over-responsible. It's a habit that we learn in childhood to try to influence and control other people's behavior. We may have felt like, oh, it's my responsibility to be a good girl or a good boy. And so I mustn't ask my parents for too much. I must make sure that I'm the best. Or I must make sure that I'm the worst so somebody else doesn't feel bad about themselves. Mm. And then what happens is we get to adulthood and we just treat it like it's a giant size replica of our childhood. And so it's just easy to transfer that to work. And so the over-responsible child who keeps their needs to themselves, who hides their feelings and opinions, who tries to be what everybody else wants, just becomes an adult that does that at work because work is another place where there's somebody who is an authority. And it's just so easy to be like, this is how I prove that I'm worthy and valuable, that it's right for you to have given me this job or this client or this work or this money. And so it's just oh so easy to take that all on as a, responsibility. My responsibility is to be all things to everyone and bust a gut and do whatever people want. And boom, that makes me valuable. And this is how we burn out. It's how we end up being miserable. It's how we end up feeling trapped. Yeah. I loved what you said about the over-responsible child transfers whatever they've learned in childhood and treats work life and adult life like a giant replica of that, which I think in in my late 20s and early 30s, I started to notice it in a lot of my peers and in myself. What do you tell people? How do they start to situate their adult working life as a different creature than a giant-sized replica of whatever they learned in childhood? What are some ways that 
we can get ourselves on track to start being consenting adults who are participating in our careers rather than obedient children who are, you know, doing the work that's asked of us? I think the single biggest thing that we can actually do, and this goes back to, you know, to that question I love asking on the baggage reclaim sessions, is this question of what's the baggage behind it. So when we notice how we feel around a particular person or in a particular situation, where else have I felt and thought and acted like this? Who or what does this person remind me of? And I think actually that it was asking this question of what's the baggage behind it and asking this of people when they were telling me about work situations that got me very curious about our relationship with work boundaries because, oh my gosh, when you ask people this, they suddenly have this light bulb moment and they go, oh my gosh, I behave as if this person is my mother or that sister that I'm competing with or the bully from school or that old boyfriend, or, but they don't realize that they're in this pattern, this autopilot of responding in this way. Because the moment that we realize, oh, hold on, I can't treat my co-workers or my boss like they're my mom, unless they are mm. our mother. <laughs> That's a different matter when you're working in the family business. Family businesses exist, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, unless you are literally working for your mama, and that's a whole different situation altogether, you have no business treating your boss like they're your mom or your dad. That's bad boundaries. Mm. Like I say yeah. this to people, even about romantic relationships. If you're treating your romantic partners like parental replacements, when you start thinking about, oh, wow, I interact with my partner as if they're my dad or my mom, we suddenly realize like how creepy and inappropriate that is. <laughs> how creepy and inappropriate. Yeah, for sure. But also um, this makes me think a lot about this thing called schema therapy. The basic tenet is essentially what you just described, this this idea that we have different modes in which we operate. We have the scared child mode. We have the angry child mode. We have mm. the, the martyr mode. We have different ways that our personality sort of comes out and brushes up against emotional situations that feel similar to something else. So my, my child who is scared of abandonment inside of me yeah. might act that way in a work environment if I feel like maybe I'm going to get axed. And it seems so smart to me to back up and say, where have I felt this before? And then maybe a follow-up question, is this appropriate for the situation? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it stops the feeling of, oh my God, like, am I going crazy here? Like, what's wrong with me? When we realize we all have emotional baggage, and so we're all carrying around these stories, these judgments, these misunderstandings, these criticisms. We're all carrying them around. These, for instance, challenging work situations are just one of life's ways of causing us to confront old stuff so mm. that we can heal it and move forward. So then rather than being like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm so sensitive, I'm so needy, I'm difficult, all of these things. It's like, oh, hold on, where's that coming from? Mm. Where did I get these ideas from? But it is... The boundaries piece, everybody thinks that boundaries is all about saying no. But actually, an example of boundaries is knowing the difference between us and others and realizing, now hold on a second, I don't like the work situation that I'm in, but I'm realizing that the way that I am approaching this is what is contributing to me feeling trapped and helpless. And yeah. I say this as somebody that a good first decade of my work experience because I grew up with a very critical mother and she was 
you know, I think a lot of that was coming from her own fears of of me not having all of the opportunities. My mom's very typical immigrant parents. They want you to have all of the things that they didn't have. And they also don't want you to embarrass them with the neighbors. And they don't want you to like take a job that's not like, you know, status. And so in African and Caribbean culture, for instance, it is doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, or working for the government. So if you then turn around and say, I want to be a dancer, or I want to be like something creative, it's like douche in the head, like what the hell, what foolishness are you talking about? Like go and get yourself a proper job. And so I arrived into adulthood working and I would experience feedback and I was spinning out Mm. and then I had this wake-up call like these people are not my mom and actually even if my mom was to turn around and say something now I have to remind myself I'm not 12 or 13 Mm. or 5 or whatever anymore yeah you know it strikes me that if you ask yourself these critical questions like where have I seen this pattern before in myself what's the baggage behind this that automatically means that once you identify that, oh, God, I'm treating my boss like I treat my mother, you have to stop that. But if you yeah. already have a groove, which is that's how you treat that person, what do you do? Like, do you have any obligation to explain to them, hey, we need to back up. This is the thing I noticed. I don't want this. Or can you just show them through your behavior that this is no longer the way that you're going to interact? Well, the thing is, it's one of those it depends kind of situations. One, it depends on who we're working with. Like, you don't go and tell the bullying manager or the bullying boss or the co-worker, oh, I've realised that the way that I'm interacting with you kind of reminds me of why when I was being bullied at school. Because it's like giving them the blueprints to screw yourself over, right? Oh, and I don't do that to yourself, right? But what you can do is, you know, in those situations, like make a list of what are those typical situations where this type of stuff tends to come up for you. Who are you dreading being around or what are you dreading dealing with? Because you can plan your boundaries in advance, you know, for these things. You can think ahead and be like, this is what I need to say no to. This person, when I now see them in the office, I'm going to be like, let me get back to you. Like you can come up with a plan of action for these things. Because if you've got like your little post-it note or you've even memorized it and so you know, oh, like when that person emails or when they ask me for a favor, then now you've got that mindful awareness around it where you can actually go, right, the next time that happens, I'm going to be like, give myself a time out, change my scenery, you know, go out, get some fresh air, go to the bathroom, collect myself before I go and say something. Mm. Or if that person asks me for something rather than immediately go, yes, 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 yes. And then afterwards feeling ashamed that, you know, I sort of rolled over and acquiesced to that person. It's like, let me get back to you. We don't have to have an urgent phone call mentality. So, you know, like when uh, you, you get like an urgent call and you've missed it. So then it's like, oh, I've got to return that like straight away. Or when a text says, hey, this is really urgent. That's genuinely urgent. But you know what? A lot of people behave like somebody asking something is the equivalent of the urgent phone call that you've got to return right now and give an answer and do the thing. No, it's not. It's like, take a beat, you know, take mm-hmm. a breath. And sometimes the situation that we're in, it is the telling people you've said da 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 and be descriptive, be specific. If they said it, repeat it back verbatim or as close mm-hmm. to it as possible. If they did it, literally describe the behavior. I call it being factual because... People can't hide from facts. If you go, you know, 
Sometimes you say stuff and it makes me feel bad about myself. People love to jump all over that type of stuff and blow holes in your argument. Yeah. Oh, really? What are you saying that for? You having a rough day? Got your period oh. or something? You know, all this type of stuff. Whereas if you turn around and said, you said, da-da-da-da-da-da, or you did, they can't blame that on you. That's facts. If anything, it's now time for them to either explain what they've done or, or say, actually, I realize how that sounds. What I actually meant was this. Yeah. And, and then when we stick to the facts, it takes it out of this, you know, where we gaslight ourselves and go, well, maybe it's yeah. like, maybe I'm too sensitive and difficult and needy. And maybe I just need to work harder and the problem will go away. No, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe it's time to say something. Yeah, yeah, so true. It's me. Just a quick break to tell you that Simplify is produced by Blinkist, where we make blinks and also short casts like Natalie's show, The Baggage Reclaim Sessions, which has over 200 episodes that can help you process your emotional baggage, learn how to say no at work, understand your bandwidth and boundaries. And you can get just the most actionable, useful, punchy parts of each of these episodes in the Blinkist app in just 15 minutes with new hosting from Nat to recontextualize some of her greatest ideas. You can try Blinkist by going to Blinkist.com simplify, clicking on try Blinkist in the upper right hand corner and entering the code boundaries. That's Blinkist.com simplify, try Blinkist and enter the code boundaries. That'll let you try 14 days of Blinkist for free so that you can listen to shortcasts and books and blinks, which you've heard me talk about a lot of times. All right, that's it. Thanks. Bye. Natalie, the world is slowly coming out of this this very strange 12 to 14 months of lockdown, quarantine, mm. working from home, very uh, special circumstances that we've all been in because of the pandemic. And as people start to go back to offices, start to have more interactions with their colleagues, start to join the world more again, what do you hope they remember to do for themselves to take good care of themselves at work and in general? I think that this is a really good time for people to notice what has been working for them during lockdown and what hasn't. Because some people it's been like, wow, like I didn't realize how much I overworked and how little free time I gave myself, just how exhausted I was until I was out of that context of work. Mm. And some people after this 12 to 14 months are like, oh my gosh, I need to go back into work to give me that context that allows me to go, oh, whoa, 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 like, hold on a second. I need to put some lines here. So I think this is a good time for people to acknowledge what is and isn't working for them. Because if we don't, it's so easy to kind of go back into that and just slip straight back into your old patterns. You know, like when you go on holiday and you've had the most amazing time and you're like, yeah, when I go back, I'm going to do this. I'm going to eat this way. I'm going to exercise a few times a week. I'm going to go here, go there. You go back to work for one, two days and you're back in your old routine. Mm -hmm. Boom, just like that. And so we have to be like super on it and vigilant to hold on to either the habits that we want to hold on to from this lockdown period or to shape things up, to be really mindful. And I think also it's like, try to expect even 20% less of yourself. And I think you could see your life change quite dramatically. (laughs) It's like, instead of staying till seven, 
what happens if you challenge yourself to stay till 6.30 instead? And maybe the following week it's like six. Like just play around like with it. Try to expect a bit less of yourself and see what happens. Does the sky fall down? No, it doesn't. Are you okay? Yes, you are. Yeah. Are you happier? Probably. You're certainly yeah. better rested. Yeah, right. So then, yeah, a time to really consider what's worked, what hasn't, and to, to play with expectations, I guess, that you have of yourself and that you think you're, the authorities might have of you. That was really useful. So, Natalie, thank you. And now I want to see if any of our lovely guests have questions for for you about work, about bandwidth, about anything they've been saving up. Um, all of you have come from Natalie's audience, so I'm sure that you you know what her specialties are. And I, I'm happy to open the floor up to you. Chisanga, hello. Hi, Chisanga. Hi, Natalie. Yeah, really great to actually be in this session with you. So I'm a recent listener, I think from about five, six months ago, and you talk a lot about, you know, you draw from your own experiences and things that you've worked through. So I'm just curious, are there things that you feel that you are still kind of working through that you then see yourself later covering in podcasts or in books or that kind of thing? Oh, yeah, for sure. I've been thinking about anxiety a lot over the last few years because I made this connection between people-pleasing and perfectionism and overthinking and over-responsibility and how they're basically code for I am anxious. And what was interesting about lockdown is that it really brought me face-to-face with little anxieties and big anxieties were underneath. And that really caught me off guard. But I gradually once I was able to step back from it a bit, started to become curious about where it was coming from. Also, and and I've been very open about this, um, I lost my father four years ago and I've learned a lot about not just grief, but the processing of those old wounds and the, the abandonment and the rejection. I, like so many of us, I like to be in control. I, and I learned to do that in childhood. It was a way of, if I people please, this allows me to be in control in chaotic situations. And that has really come full force, I feel like, over this last year. And um, I had worked on a book proposal and I hadn't sought out my agents. They approached me after I was in the New York Times. And then I had 10 different meetings with 10 different publishers. And that was... I was like on my knees before the first meeting with anxiety, but I did sell my book, uh, which was like incredible. But you'd be amazed like that experience has brought up so much wonderful stuff, but also it really showed me my inner critic. It really showed me like the deep anxieties, the rejection, the abandonment. And you think that the stuff is irrelevant, but actually... The stuff that comes up, you know, when you think about your dad or your mom or school or old jobs, you're like, why the hell is this stuff coming up? Because you're like, this is irrelevant. Like, I'm 43. That, like, happened 20 years ago. It's all relevant because your body thinks that it's the same as it was back then. And, you know, when you're in that sort of fight-flight mode trying to protect yourself. So I would say we're, we're healing in layers. As humans, we like to think that we can just do some work and done and dusted. That's how we'd like it to be. I will always be 
dealing with stuff. And before I'm like, oh God, like why? Because <laughs> it's like, you know, when something comes up, you're like, what does this thing want with me? Like, why do I have to learn something else? Now I just accept it as a part of life. I'm not saying I do it grinning all the time, but I'm not surprised by it anymore. Mm. Chisanga, that was a great question. And uh, Natalie, great answer. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a great question. Nobody's asked me that actually before. But yeah, I've got plenty of stuff to work on and plenty of stuff to share. <laughs> awesome. As long as we have more podcast episodes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have another hand. Wonderful. Yeah, there we go. Hi, Abram oh, is my okay. name. Yeah, I'm from Turkey. I'm so excited because I'm fo- following Natalie since our three years. I have two questions about work. Okay. One is I'm working in the same job like more than 20 years and I'm a garment officer and I see myself staying in the same position, not pushing for the promotion. And I'm questioning this like I'm 40 and is it normal to stay in the same position or do I feel like not valuable enough to be promoted? Or maybe I'm so afraid of the promotion and something like this. Or uh, there is no problem with this. <laughs> and for the second, uh, we return back to the office. And it's like we forgot to socialize in the job. Everybody behaves like they're in their own house. <laughs> they forget <laughs> to speak with each other, me as well. So I'm really afraid we'll stay the same. <laughs> what is your experience of that? Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. So um, in answer to your first question, This is something I think that is actually um, way more common than you think. And I think we get caught between being like what we want and what we think we're supposed to want. If we are doing work where we are fulfilled and we get to live our lives the way we want to, so we get to be, do and have the things that we need and desire and deserve, we get to be the person that we are. And that means, for instance, for us, that we continue working at the place that we've worked in for 20 years. Crack on. Like, we're allowed to enjoy working somewhere for 20 years. And I think that what happens is that we second guess ourselves because society tells us you should want to change jobs if you've been there, like, for a few years. Uh, I think particularly as women There's a whole lot of connotations around what we should and shouldn't be doing when we kind of hit into 30s and go into 40s. There is also this thing about we should want more. And the thing is, we are going to want more in life, but it's not always going to be about everything and everything because sometimes we're just pushing for the sake of pushing. I think there's a lot of shame around ambition. Like we're not ambitious if we don't want to go for a promotion in a place where actually you might not be wanting to do more than you actually are in this place. And you know what? A friend of mine is in the same position as you, but she's several years older and they keep asking her to go for promotion. And she said, no, thanks. She said, I know what will happen. You'll get what you want out of this if I'm promoted, but I won't get what I want out of this if I'm promoted. Yeah, I have more money and now I'm awake half the night because now you feel as if you have the right to make these demands of me. And she said, my mental health is more important. So it's a no from me. So what you have to tap into is understanding who you are as a person. How do you want to feel and continue feeling? 
what are the things, the relationships and the opportunities that matter to you in terms of how you want to live your life over the next several years, decade or so? Because this allows you to have a sense of, oh, okay, actually, maybe I do want to continue in this job or actually, maybe I want to change my job or maybe I do want a promotion. But it's only from tuning into who you are. Um, In terms of, (laughs) I don't think you're alone in going back to work. I think people are going to take a little while to kind of get into the rhythm of socializing. And so I think that what can be helpful in these situations is sometimes somebody's got a lead in the sense of going, hey, how about we all kind of sit together at lunch and and have a catch up and, you know, talk about what we've been up to? Or, hey, does anybody fancy going, maybe setting up drinks after work in the office or having a pizza together and sort of starting to sort of foster those sort of conversations. But also during the work day, rather than sending an email to somebody about something, when they're literally sat two desks away from you, get up and be like, hey, have you done it or can you whatever like I think once one person is doing it it kind of starts to send a little ripple out but you'll probably need to give it a little bit of time but hopefully it's not going to last for ages because it must feel very odd to be working that way I hope that socializing gets easier well that has brought us to the end of our time Natalie thank you so much it is a pleasure as always uh Chisanga and Ephraim, thank you for your questions. It was great that you joined us today. And that's it. Thank you all so much. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much for coming along. Thank you, Nat. Bye, all. Bye. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. So um, that was cool. We heard some live questions from people, yeah. which we've never done before on Simplify, and good questions. Indeed. So what's the takeaway from from this episode? Um, I think the thing that, that I found really, really interesting when I listened back to the interview again earlier, actually, was this idea of moving from compliance to consent. And compliance is just, you know, saying, yes, yes, I'll do it. Yes, of course, because this is how our relationship is and this is how work works. Rather than consent, which is an agreement between adults, as we know from other podcasts, such as Emily Nagoski's <laughs> and, and uh, Jacqueline Friedman from, I think, season two. So consent applies to every relationship in our lives, including the ones that we have with work. Yeah. What I, I took away something kind of different. I don't have a good segue. Ooh, that's okay. What did you notice? I mean, I took away something else. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the core message, but what I, what's sticking with me from this mm. is this, uh, how she's like, be factual. Oh. Say facts. One thing that I've been trying to work on personally is not to exaggerate as much. Oh. Because I think I have a bad habit of making exaggerations. It can veer into judgment, both of myself and into other people. Yeah. And also, it's not helpful because it sort of starts to slowly chip away at credibility. Hmm. If someone's like, hold on, is he actually serious? Or is that shortcasts actually have one million downloads? Yes, we have uh, within a few months of launching. But is that just been exaggerating? Like one million, haha, or is it for real? And actually, it's for real. So I'm, I am trying to exaggerate less hmm. and be a little bit more precise in my communication. I think that's a topic for me, and that's important. Um, but I also think that in this season, in this seventh season of Simplify, there's been a theme of awareness. 
And there's, we've talked about this in a few bookends mm, mm-hmm. of awareness and just being able to look at yourself without judgment and say, where am I? And maybe the factual bit, it's a snappy thing to remember. Also, be factual. It sounds like one of these things you write down on a post-it note and put on your desk. Mm. One of these assertions. Because you've definitely never done that, right? I have a few of them. <laughs> be factual would also be a good one. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Should we get to the books? Yeah, let's do some books. I wanted to talk. You mentioned Emily Nagoski just now and her sister, Amelia Nagoski. I did. Who have a podcast and also a book called Burnout. Mm-hmm. That's a book that we both like. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that one. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of jealous, but go ahead. Well, the thing about Burnout, what they brought to their book, maybe that's different than other burnout books or books about boundaries at work, they introduced the cycle of stress, mm-hmm. which you have to finish. Mm-hmm. When you trigger a stress reaction or when something triggers a stress reaction, you go through physiological changes. You have to finish the cycle, which could be, it could be going for a walk. It could be a 20 second hug, being with other people. Um, There's lots of ways. Could be screaming, singing, running. Yeah. Right. And I just think the idea, again, awareness, where am I in the stress cycle? Mm. Okay. I'm triggered. That's fine. I'm going through a stress reaction. That's also totally fine. I feel like crap. Okay. Not ideal, but fine. And then get to the end of it. You know, now I'm doing what I can here to put out this fire and now I'm going to go for a walk. Yeah, that's exactly it. Simply identifying the stressor is not enough. That's not a way to complete the stress cycle. It's really just the beginning. Once you know what it is, that's great. But a reason that so many of us stay in stress because that's where we stop. We stop by going, I'm mad about X. And then unless you sort of like get out of your body and get get out of your body, get out of your head and into your body, which is I think the main way that people get out of stress cycles that it's going to stay with you which can make you really sick and burn out right because it's physical yeah exactly actually that leads so perfectly into the book that i wanted to recommend which maybe i've recommended on simplify before called when the body says no it's by gabor mate who is a physician um he studied addiction quite a bit and if you google him you'll see a lot on that but more recently he's been looking into the role of stress and what it does to the body when it's all you know tampered up and he has examined from a medical perspective how your emotional health how your level of stress affects your body so the role of the mind body link in cancer arthritis diabetes heart disease ibs back pain um which is actually why I picked the book up because I I suffer from back pain and I wanted to read more about what he had to say about stress and back pain. And it was really eye-opening. So I I very much recommend When the Body Says No. It'll give you a really different perspective on how critical it really is to, to have good boundaries, to learn when you should say no, and to listen for when your body is actually saying that. Yeah, I like this book. I think it's a good recommendation. Do you have another one? Should we do three books or is that? No, I do have one more. Okay. I actually, I need to admit I haven't read it yet because it's pretty new and I'm excited about it because it is by one of our former Simplify guests, Lavi Ajayi. Um, Her new book is called Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighting Manual. And I think this connects with our interview today with Nat because of how, how she mentions, Nat mentions, that a lot of us still fear that we'll get in trouble at work if we say no. And Lovey's new book is an invitation to do exactly that. Get into a little bit of trouble for a good cause. Oh, that sounds good. I'll go check it out. All right. So Simplify is produced by me, Caitlin Schiller, Ben Schumann-Stoller, and Marta Medvedsek. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You know the deal. Tell us what you think of Simplify. We'd love to hear from you. Share this episode with somebody maybe who you want to talk about boundaries with. That's the best way to really do it. You send the episode and then you're like, let's talk about what we both think of the episode. Ooh. That's what Caitlin and I do. Indeed, it's true. Just usually about Roman history podcasts. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's what I wish. Okay. In case you didn't already know this, this episode of Simplify was brought to you by Blinkist. This is my Ira Glass delivery. Oh, gosh. Blinkist is an app, but you can also find us on the web or on Android stores and iOS stores, you know, all the places. We basically take the key insights from the world's best nonfiction books and distill them into little capsules that you can read or listen to in 15 to 20 minutes. And now we do the same thing with podcasts like Natalie Liu's podcast, The Baggage Reclaim Sessions. Um, we take out the most actionable advice and transform those longer podcasts into like seven to 15 minute listens along with the original podcast hosts. So Natalie and other people like Malcolm Gladwell, Laurie Santos, Eric Fisher, people that you'd really like, dear listeners. Right. And if you want to try it out, go to Blinkist.com slash Simplify and you can use a voucher code so you can get 14 days of Blinkist for free. Go to Blinkist.com slash Simplify, tap on Try Blinkist in the upper right hand corner and then use the code Boundaries, which is what we've been talking about all day. Boundaries. B-O-U-N-D-A-R-I-E-S. Boundaries. Great. Um, And that's it for today. Check it out. Wait a second. <clears throat> you can find us on the internet if you want to give some feedback. I'm at Caitlin Schiller on Twitter. Ben is at Bisto. And you can email all of us, including producer Marta, at podcast at All right. That's it. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs>